This is Robert Walter, and you're listening to No Good Music. Hello, hello. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Robert. Good. Mike's running. I think Mike just got here. I hear him. Now. Okay. He's running a little late. Welcome to No Good Music. You... Oh, um, thanks for having me. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, Mike's here. Hey, <laughs> just hey. started. So where are, you, where are you today? I'm at home in California. You're about five years younger than Mike and I. So what kind of uh, music... I figured you were probably turned on to music in the uh, late 70s. What were some of the musical artists that influenced you at an early oh, age? Um, I guess, um, I mean, I was, I liked like sort of rock music that was on the radio um, at the time, which is sort of what you would think of as classic rock, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Van Halen okay. and all those, <laughs> yeah, all those too. bands. But my, but my dad was um, a musician and had a great record collection. So he had a lot of interesting things, including like some Herbie Hancock records and the mm-hmm. Beaters and Bob Marley and things like that. So that was part of my little feet and the Grateful Dead he was into as well. Okay. So, yeah. um, so we had a lot of music around the house. So I guess I was listening to all that. And then I liked a lot of classical music when I was really young. And I would just listen to my grand- grandparents had records that I would put on. So, so kind of all over the map from the beginning. But I did, I was a little rocker kid at the beginning like, okay. um, when I was, when I first was, you know, I guess 11 or 12, I mm-hmm. still liking all that stuff. Classicals kind of like, we weren't in the classical at all. Yeah, my parents listened to it, but uh, I think that's something a little different uh, that you, uh, you heard that and uh, you were taking that in too. Yeah, I've always liked instrumental music and that's been part of my career um, all along. And I, in classical music, I think it, it ended up, uh, informing my love of jazz records for the same thing. It didn't really tell you what to feel. There was no lyrics. There was no story per se. Yeah. It was more like you could sort of uh, get lost in the world of it and it would express what I thought were more abstract, but then because of that, more universal um, emotional things. You know? Yeah, more of a feel- feeling. Yeah, I was uh, I was wanting to pick your brain about You can make your own story up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was wanting to pick your brain about that. I think it's a it's a different crowd, you know, as I was getting uh, turned on to, uh, you know, uh, jazz, funky jazz, and a lot of stuff in the 90s. I was thinking it's a, you know, it's a different kind of crowd that uh, that goes to a show, especially uh, not just uh, the, the classical concerts, but goes to a, a, a jazz show, modern jazz show, and, uh, and, and just is there for the music. And like you said, not the lyrics that are telling you what to think, telling you what to feel, telling you the story. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Like, why... Uh, why do some people enjoy that and others do not? I know some people who uh, think it's not a song, it's not a tune uh, without the words. <laughs> I, what's, I what's your thoughts on that? I know a lot, of, a lot of musicians that feel that way. There's like, 
they can appreciate an instrumental music, but it's never this as much. It's never as, you know, the greatest expression is like a song, which mm-hmm. I can see. I mean, I love music with lyrics and I, I do love great songwriting and all that, but there's something I, I find more evocative and tra- transformative about listening to instrumental music. It's, it's, it just creates more of a, a realm of the imagination for mm-hmm. me. It's less literal. So, and I think I, just depending on, on your thing, some people are very verbal in the way they process the world. And some people are more into the, the more abstract. I always like sort of left of center films and all of that. Like I, I like things that, that ask more questions than they answer. It, it, you know, I find that more, more stimulating overall. So yeah, I, I still like when I listen to music in my house, I, I love great songs. I go back to instrumental music again and again. You know, mm-hmm. from all different genres, but and I do think there's something also that's anonymous about it, where it's the the crowd is is it, it eliminates that hero thing of like this person's telling you the story and this person's creating the narrative for you. It's a little more of an anonymous, I guess, the gap between audience and and artist is is erased in a way where they don't. So I think that's also um, explains part of the popularity of sort of EDM and electronic music and things like that, where, you know, it's less about this, this storyteller that's, that's defining the thing for you. It's just an environment for you to exist in when you go to the show, Mm -hmm. which I, which I love the idea of that, where the audience and the, and the artist, there's, there's less of a, of a disconnect between the two. Yeah. There's no, um, there's no rock star. There's no, uh, Big personas in jazz. Well, there are big personas, but like, yeah, seeing your there's people like, yeah, there's there's people that are my, like Miles Davis who has such a uh, an awesome mystique and and yeah. you know there he is a hero to to a lot of people, but but it's still it's still more abstract because he's the story he's telling is inclusive of the whole group that's playing mm-hmm. and everything that's happening. You know, I guess you get to the audience gets to make their own rules about it in a way that's. Right, and I think I, I picture the, the contract between the songwriter. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing like right. an audience. The audience members, like when you play and you're playing instrumental, uh, they could be just right near you, and they're not saying, "Oh, I'm near him, I'm near him." They're they're jamming with you, like they would be right next yeah. to you, just 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 getting in the groove, yeah. you know. And that's different than I, than the the idol, the celebrity. Yeah, the person. Ideally, yeah. it always works like that. Of course, there's things all in between that, and there's <laughs> there's great bands with. They're, they're inclusive that way too. So, mm-hmm. but that, yeah, that, I've always been drawn to that in some ways. You know, I think what, what you would call like jam bands are, are you, right. know, you know, the Grateful Dead and things like that. They, they're playing with both ideas where there's great songs, mm-hmm. but then there's something going to happen in the, in the show that's unique to this room and these people and yeah. includes the audience. So that's a great, great thing. Yeah. Jim's wearing a, a Dave Matthews shirt. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, <laughs> when, when you're here in number 41, you get to enjoy you know, the first 10 minutes <laughs> of that song and the last 10 minutes mm-hmm. is, is Carter Buford and, uh, you know, uh, Vic, you know, either Victor Wooten or, or Stefan playing bass, you know, and you get to enjoy another 10 minutes of just the yeah. jam. Yeah. Yeah. So they're yeah. playing both of them. Yeah. And yeah. Something might, fish, something might fish, happen, happen that you don't expect. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but your first band was in high school called Daddy Long Legs. Yeah, that's right. While well, deep, <laughs> and you, and you, know, you the played whole, the whole backstory, and you played drums. Yeah, originally I played yeah. drums. Mm-hmm. I had already been a 
playing piano, like I had piano lessons when I was a kid and stuff. But the first, mm-hmm. the first sort of instrument I played in bands was the drums. Mm-hmm. Okay. I always, I always like, usually if I love another player in whatever group and I talk to them, they have some background with drums too. Mm-hmm. You know, I always, I always like, like the drummers, you know, it's, that's sort of the most essential part of, you know, yeah. whatever our American music is, the drums are very important. So. And that allows you to communicate then you can communicate in the drummer's language, uh, you know, letting them know what you're thinking, what you, what you want. And just a sort of an emphasis on rhythm. I mean, even in, even in groups without drums, if everyone has good rhythm, it, it just helps the thing along. How long uh, were you in that band? And how old were you? Like 16, 17? I guess when we started, I think I was even younger. I think it was about 14 when we started. Yeah. And I did okay. it for probably five years, yeah. maybe okay. maybe a little bit longer. But mm-hmm. but that was my first time playing out a lot, although I was also playing keyboards and my dad was in a blues band. So we would play like four sets of blues in some bars when I was younger, oh, really? too. So that wow. got, got, got me... But then Daddy Longlegs is more sort of in the punk scene. We would play these, we would always play these big bills with like four or five other bands. And um, it was a great way to get exposed to a lot of different kinds of groups and to just get my feet wet playing gigs. You know? mm-hmm. uh, so, um, yeah, you talked about the piano. And I guess that's one regret I have is not uh, not having piano lessons. My dad played piano and we had two pianos and two organs, two uh, pump organs. Oh, wow, home. cool. But, yeah, but I never took to it, and uh, my parents weren't too pushy, and so they didn't push me into that. I play drums now, uh, currently, but uh, I all the way till twenty nine. I waited till twenty nine to actually go out. Twenty nine years old, <laughs> but so, so I'm impressed with uh, you know. Not many people can say, yeah, my dad was in a blues band. I was playing some keyboards there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that that's uh, that's a great background to really help you out. What what's uh, what can you say about the the piano? Uh, you do so much with. Uh, the keyboards with the with the Hammond Hammond B three right. What, yep. What's your what's your thoughts uh, on uh, the uh, acoustic piano? Uh, when you, well, when you get what is it a feel different feel you get from that? Yeah, kind of what got me started with you know I played I took some piano lessons. My my dad had a an old upright piano in the house, so I would just mess around on it all the time. And then they got me piano lessons. I was learning a little bit, and then I started playing drums but I kept going back to the piano because I wanted to write music and it's kind of hard to write music from the drums you can do it but it's it's much easier to be able to like pick out your chords and be like this is what it is and you can show it to the band like here's I can play the bass line piano is a great instrument to write on because you can kind of cover all the parts so so I could be like okay do what my left hand is doing on the bass and then you know whatever so when I started writing um, music I came back to the piano and I still write mostly on an acoustic piano. I love the Fender Rhodes. I love synthesizers. I love the organ. But for some reason, yeah, it's it's it, they're all different. They're acoustic. They give you something back. If the sound of it's real beautiful, I find it inspiring. You know, so so I still mostly write on piano. Um, sometimes the organ is so different that sometimes I'll go to that if I if I feel stuck or whatever, and the sound of that will be inspiring too. I hear a lot of Herbie Hancock to me in your music. Mm-hmm. What are some jazz musicians that uh, you can relate to the most? Well, you know, Herbie and Jimmy Smith were sort of like my electric piano and piano and then organ. Mm-hmm. Kind of like pinnacle people. I just I just love everything. 
thing that comes out of him. Um, Herbie in particular has, there's something about like, even from his earliest records and everything he's a side man on and everything that he did on his own, it's just like, there's some kind of like polish and logic to what he's playing that always, just always sounds mm-hmm. good to me. <laughs> yeah. Like in any setting, for some reason, he's just like, it's like got some golden touch, you know? So I found that inspiring. And then Jimmy Smith on the organ is, of course, he's like sort of invented how we approached that instrument and was, was the sort of one of the early innovators. There was, there was organ players before him, but he sort of galvanized what we think of as jazz organ style. And then he's so sort of audacious and virtuoso that you can't, I think every organ player is influenced in some way or another by him. What's but his name? Jimmy, said, Jimmy Smith? Guys, mm-hmm. Jimmy Smith. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, you know, he, he, yeah, he, he sort of invented the way we, we all kind of approach it as a jazz instrument. And then it's developed beyond that, but it all that comes from that root. Very, very important organ player. But anyway, those guys are so good though, that when I was coming up and trying to learn how to play, everything was so beyond me. Like you pick out one little lick, but you couldn't really hang with it. I was really attracted to players that maybe were a little bit less technical. Like I loved Ramsey Lewis on the piano. And um, I liked John Patton on the organ. And these these people that were a little more like, you know, for lack of a better thing, like meat and potatoes, blues influenced, mm-hmm. a little simpler. And that's, I think it's important for musicians to, to listen to people that are a little more within reach. You know, I could hear those things and be like, they're still way better than me, but I think I could pick it out, you know? And then that leads, once you do that, you can sort of like step it up to more complex music. But when you're learning, it's good to learn from people who you can relate to. Like people used to say, like the famous punk rock story is the Ramones played in England and then everybody at the gig started a band. Um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. the Clash were there, and the <clears throat> Sex Pistols were there, and Chrissy Hine was there, and Susie the Banshees <clears throat> were there. So, and it's because you watch the Ramones, you're like, "Shit, I could do that." I'll yeah, get a yeah. guitar, and, yeah. and it would be fun. I can be in right, a band. Yeah. <laughs> three chords. Yeah. I can learn that. <laughs> and sometimes the truth. So, in a similar yeah. way, some of, some of those jazz records, like especially those '60s sort of jazz funk soul jazz records, mm-hmm. were simpler, and I could understand it. I love Horace Silver to, um, on the piano who is less of like a ripper, like, you know, crazy fast player, more melodic, great composer. Mm -hmm. Those were people I could relate to and I could learn their songs when I was starting. Yeah. You mentioned some names of people I didn't know. And I think that's good too for our listeners. You know, we have a wide range of musical styles that uh, we try to reach. So uh, that's good. Uh, I got turned on to Modesky, Martin and Wood in the mid nineties. I got to see them uh, live in uh, about 97, but it was right there at the stage, you know, and, and, and Billy Martin's playing drums right next to me, you know? And uh, so I hear, I hear John Modesky. uh, You've probably been told that by somebody. Uh, I I hear John, uh, a similarity with you and John Modesky. Um, and I love that. <laughs> I just uh, I love I love what they're doing and and uh, and the many albums. So, yeah, I love yeah. his playing. I'm I've gotten to play with him uh, a little bit over the years, and um, I think we come from a a similar generation of people that were getting interested in this music, and we're we're both like into jazz, but into like it's kind of spurting the the normal sort of like. snobbishness or or uptightness that that jazz you know had become maybe so you know embracing sort of players that were a a little less um you know less acknowledged and 
more dissonance and more kind of crazy stuff. So I think we had that in common. And then, you know, he's a little bit, he's more from the New York scene. So he's a little more accomplished as a jazz musician, but, but I think we relate to each other pretty well. He's a great improviser. Yeah. 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 So you, yeah, you come from a similar place. So I saw the video for uh, John's cage. That's such a great song. Mm-hmm. Your band, the gray boy, all stars, oh, yeah. uh, very unique. There's like 20 stops and starts in the song. <laughs> And this was written by Chris Stillwell. It became a song uh, on our album. It's the name was changed to Executive Party. You know, I tried so to look a- for it <laughs> on Apple Music, yeah. and yeah, I couldn't find. <laughs> that was soon. We had been playing live for a couple of years before we recorded it, so it had gone through a bunch of different. Okay, I think huh. at some point it was called like Chris's song. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. we didn't have a name for it. You settled um, on Executive and the Party. The joke, yeah, the the John's Cage thing is a joke upon the John. Cage is a was a was a avant-garde composer who wrote a piece. I think it's called. I I should know this by heart, but I think it's called like four thirty one. It's in, it's the minutes and seconds of the piece. Yeah, and a guy sits at the piano and is completely silent, and it's all about what happens in that space. You know, you present <laughs> it as a piece of music, but it's 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 silent, and it, you start noticing that I've seen it performed before. You start noticing the sounds in the room and stuff. It's it's a great great sort of like conceptual piece but since we had all the silent the stops in it where we, we wait forever we made a joke that like our john cage piece so. yeah, and are, yeah are you are you playing guitar in that video that's on youtube no no that's chris playing guitar oh okay and my and elgin park playing bass they're they're usually switched the other okay. way in our yeah, band but yeah. they they swear that song and i'm playing organ mm-hmm. okay yeah, yeah. they switched for that song similar yeah. 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 So uh tell us about the uh, Gray Boy and the origin of the band. There is a Gray Boy, right? One someone is a DJ. Yeah. DJ Gray Boy. Um mm-hmm. so the sort of the short version is that Gray Boy was a he's a DJ and he was making sort of like, you know, sample oriented hip hop influenced music, but but he was interested in jazz. He'd been playing jazz records, old jazz records in his DJ sets at the time. There was a lot of this going on like in the in the 90s, uh, people like rediscovering sort of forgotten jazz records that had good beats on them. So mm-hmm. they were, it was still dance music, but it was this stuff that people weren't really. So he had started sampling that stuff, being influenced by it. And he made a record called Freestyling, which was sort of breakbeat, you know, DJ on, on the on the ground level, but then it had jazz soloists on it with people improvising and um, sort of a hybrid of the two styles. Anyway, so he was he wanted uh, to do a record release party, and instead of just playing back the tracks, he wanted to have a band perform the stuff. So we formed around that, and we was just supposed to be a one-off for the record release party. But we had a great chemistry, and we 
we loved it. So we're like, let's just keep playing. So then it just grew out of that. Oh, that's so the reason why it's story, called yeah. Grey Boy All Stars <laughs> is because it was started as, you know, Grey Boy's record release party featuring the Grey Boy All Stars, and it was just the name. Oh, okay. exactly. <laughs> and he was he's been he he's been important on our development throughout. He produced the early records, and he turned us on to a lot of music that influenced us. And he was sort of a sort of like our spiritual leader in yeah. a way. Like he he kept us in the right the right zone. I think it's interesting for a DJ. Because he's not really a musician, he wouldn't sit down and play the keyboard so much, or um, whatever. But he had a, such a great ear for what worked and what was funky and things like that. So having a person who wasn't on an instrument, you know, as musicians, we all become kind of obsessed with the minutia of what we're doing, and you have some clever little lick you're playing. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I've got to put that mm-hmm. in the song, and he'd be like, yeah. Why? That yeah, he looks above it. Yeah, Why he's like, Yeah, yeah, it's a. You can see where, the forest where the trees are. Yeah, so. yeah. Where was where was he uh, from? Where is he from? San Diego, California. That's where the mm-hmm. band started. And mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where we all kind of got got into this, and it, it was all centered around this great scene. There was a bar called the Green Circle Bar in downtown San Diego, and Gray Boy had the Wednesday night. So we would the way the show would go. He would play before the first set of the band, and the band would play a set. Then he'd play in between, and then we play and then he'd kind of close up at night and he would usually start it with sort of jazz records, like, you know, almost straight ahead jazz early in the night. Then we'd play a set. Then he'd play a funkier stuff, James Brown. And then we play a set. And then after that, he'd play hip hop that was sampling all these things that we had been referencing throughout the night. So it was sort of like this great sort of history of music. And it was on a Wednesday. So you had to be kind of, serious about going it wasn't like an <laughs> an easy you know what i mean like yeah. you know for people what job you had to be you really had to want to go there so it was this great scene and we did it weekly for several years and that's how we sort of got our chemistry together and learned all the tunes we do and you know we wanted to make it different every week so we'd learn a lot of music it's cool yeah yeah i was listening to your most recent album uh better feathers uh, on the way over here. Oh, nice. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's not why I was a few minutes late. It wasn't <laughs> that I was jamming out or anything. But uh, yeah, I was looking and I noticed, yeah, as I was driving, I noticed that you have, <laughs> uh, there's uh, some people, some names I know. So uh, uh, I really enjoy Stanton Moore and Galactic. Uh, saw Galactic in Charlottesville. First concert my daughter and I went to together. So that was cool. Uh, we love them tonight. You probably know the album. It's their live album. It's yeah. one of my top uh like ever. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell me uh, uh, the connection with Stanton Moore and some others uh, on the latest album. So I first met Stanton actually when, when Galactic came to play at the Green Circle Bar in the early days of all this, this scene happening. And there was a few bands around that were kind of experimenting with this music that were interested in like old jazz funk records. And, and this was the 90s. So you know, early '90s, there wasn't a lot of people doing this this kind of stuff. So there was a few scenes. I think it was a little bit before Lettuce, but Lettuce in Boston was a similar thing. And then Galactic from New Orleans. So they went on tour the first time when they played at our little mm. club. That kind of stuff was going on. Yeah. And we we immediately hit it off. And I've just known those guys over the years. Stanton's played on a lot of my music, and I played on in his trio. We made several records together, and then. I love all the guys in Galactic and I used to live in New Orleans. So we were, you know, we were all sort of friends for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Similar, similar <laughs> life. Like we were both rock kids that discovered this, this great music that we love. So. 
Yeah, that's that's excellent. Yeah. So you have known uh, him for a while, and uh, and Chris Stillwell. Uh, it's a that's actually uh, who who was Chris Stillwell? Chris Stillwell is the bass player from Grey Boy All Stars. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, we've been in bands since since before Grey Boy. Actually, um, I've known Chris for a million years. He used to co- come see Daddy Longleg. That's where yeah. I met him it's in the front yeah. row of one of those yeah. shows. <laughs> yeah, and he's playing bass lines in his in head. Fact, he's telling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, first, first, actually, when when we first discovered that he played bass, I almost didn't take him seriously because he had been coming to our shows. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, he's yeah. just the guy from the crowd, and it turned out he's like incredible bass player. But <laughs> but I was like, how? Why is he so impressed with us? <laughs> yeah. You know. But then once I um. Once we, we heard him play, and I've been playing with Chris ever since. He's actually like sort of my favorite bass player in the world. He's, yeah. He just, we just have a lot of uh, similar taste. Yeah. Well, again, if he's listening to uh, your band, then again, he's creating all those bass lines. He has that naturally, you know, in his head. It's yeah. already there. <laughs> he just needs to bring it out onto the instrument. Yeah. So let's talk about the latest tour you just got off of, which was Roger Walters. From Pink Floyd. Is that yeah, Rod, yeah, Roger Waters. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've I've been on tour, like sort of playing big arenas since that last four months. I just got home, so those had to be the biggest places you've you've played. I would say, yeah. right? Yeah, okay, yeah. I played occasionally at a festival, maybe that was big early on mm-hmm. the early yeah. in the day. <laughs> but um, yeah, these were like big crowds every night. It was cool. Is it because I grew up looking all those sort of big rock bands, Pink Floyd included. Mm-hmm part of my sort of childhood fantasy of what it would like to be a musician was to go play Madison Square Garden or yeah. these places. Wow. And we just did it. It was pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Who were you with uh, your band? Uh, like several of you? Like who were you There's with? There's a whole like orchestra, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. Th- yeah. Who was with you playing? Oh, it's, I can't it's, picture. A, yeah. it's a, it's a 10 piece band. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. not an orchestra. It's just a, it's okay. just a rock band, but yeah, there's, there's a, a you know, a bunch of different, I own some of the people in the band before, yeah. which is kind of how I got called for it. And then, um, and then obviously Roger, I mean, it, all, all those songs are so great. Speaking of songs mm-hmm. with lyrics, that yeah. a lot of that stuff is so perfectly crafted and you just love mm-hmm. every word. Yeah. It's, it feels, you know, very meaningful. It's part of sort of our collective, you know, consciousness. You know? Yeah, right, right. So, so, so what were some of the highlights uh, from that? Like, you know, I mean, emotionally, was, what, touch, what touched you from that? You know, I always get choked up and wish you were here because, mm-hmm. you know, I just, yeah. I just love, the, love the lyric. One of the first records I bought with, with my own money was The Wall back in, you mm-hmm. know, whatever that was. 79. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. 79. So, yeah. so I remember loving that. And we, we play In the Flesh in the show, which is the beginning of that record. When I, yeah. I remember being a kid and putting that on, just being like, holy shit, what is it? <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, and there's also just a lot of great organ in that music. It's, you mm-hmm. know, I, I mainly played just hand organ on that gig. And um, yeah. it's, it's featured and it's also, I think a lot of what we think of as the language of the organ and rock music comes from, you know, mm-hmm. Rick Wright and Pink Floyd. There wasn't really a, a way that that organ exists in that music before him and some other people, you know, Greg Allman's one, and there's, you know, there's a lot of people like that, that that sort of did that, but he's he's definitely one of them. So now, are you are you going back on tour? Because I think isn't he touring next year again? We're going to Europe starting in March. So that that should be exciting too. It's I've 
Grey Boy All-Stars used to go to Europe to, to play back in the early days. But then in the last, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years, we've, we've mainly just been in the United States a lot. And I'm not that I'm tired of the United States, but it's so fun <laughs> to go somewhere oh, different, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So in March, that's uh, the same lineup then? I mean, it's, yeah, you're not yeah, mixing. Same, yeah, same, same band, thing. exactly. Yeah. Same show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And he's doing all... It's sort of like, you know, I'm on world tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's, it's like, a highlight. Was, you got to recognize that. that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the entire show is all Pink Floyd songs, correct? I mean, he's not doing it. No, 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 there's some Roger tunes okay. too. I watched there's... some of it on YouTube, mm-hmm. the tour. I would say it's probably 70% Pink Floyd tunes, but mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. But there are some tunes from various of his solo records. And there's a new song that has never been on a record before. Okay. Great. Um, Great. So, which is cool to hear, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a way, you know, some of this stuff is done sort of traditionally, but some things are reinterpreted in ways where you can see what his influence on what you know he's he was sort of the main songwriter so you can see what it's like treated mm-hmm. with a different group and and then of course we all love we all love pink floyd <laughs> yeah 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 that's awesome so we got we have about nine minutes left according to zoom Be, yeah. before you go on tour are you doing any new recordings like in the meantime before march like what yeah are you are you playing we're, with the we're great gonna, Grey Boy All-Stars or anything? Yeah, we're going in. We're, well, Grey Boy All-Stars is playing three nights in San Diego for New Year's at a little club. At, it's actually one of the first clubs I've ever played when I was younger. And and I used to be, I was, I couldn't, I was too young to get into the yeah. So I'd have to wait outside by the doorman and mm-hmm. then just go in and, and yeah. play. But Daddy Long Legs played there all the time, my first band. And so it's <laughs> kind of a cool homecoming. So at the at the Casbah for three nights, and then we're gonna start working on a new album um, at the beginning of the year. So Excellent. who sees who knows how far we'll get? We might finish it, and we might get it halfway after mm-hmm. <laughs> after finish it after the tour. But but we're, the plan is to go in and make some new music. So. Mm-hmm. Now is is that uh, Robert Walter and the Gray Boy All Stars? Is this the Gray Boy All Stars? What should our listeners be looking for? Uh, for something new the great boy all-stars okay, okay. yeah just just yeah. checking out yeah. i want to want to make that clear i'll probably i'll probably do an album at some point too but not until after i go on tour mm-hmm. probably yeah well we're on the wrong coast but hopefully we have listeners who are yeah. over on the west coast <laughs> and not over in uh jersey pa area <laughs> that the, that can actually get there yeah yeah i'm not flying out no i don't <laughs> <laughs> so our, our last question here is um Who's the one person that could be living or dead uh, besides Roger Waters, who you're already you know, touring with? Would you love to record or tour with or write a song with? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> you probably don't think about this question all the time. I mean, you know, I've always loved Curtis Mayfield. Okay. You know, and I, and I, I wish I had seen him play and I wish I had... I would love to have worked with him. I mean, mm-hmm. just for songwriting and mm-hmm. everything about it. So great. And then for, for living people, I, you know, I'm a big fan of this Brazilian singer, Gal Costa. And okay. it's always been sort of like in the back of my head, maybe at some point we'll I'll yeah. be able to do something with, with her. So. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great. So thank, right. thank you for your time. All right. And yeah, um, nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Great to meet you virtually. 
All right. Okay. Have you a great too. day. Okay. All right. Bye. See you. Bye. been listening to no good music today's interview was produced and edited by jim thatcher and recorded via zoom at the did you say seven studios in washington new jersey you can find no good music on apple Podcasts, podbean spotify pandora and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts the songs or else and hellbound by robert walter and the song executive party by the gray boy all-star used with permission from kevin calabro at calabro music media
You've been listening to No Good Music. Today's interview was produced and edited by Jim Thatcher and recorded via Zoom at the Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. 